So, well, good morning, and thanks, Steve. And wow, all right, that's cool. I like that too. So uh, good morning, guys. It's good to have you here at the 10 o'clock service. And uh, we are just so excited about a new series that we're kicking into today that we're calling Neighboring and uh, just pumped about starting this, this, this conversation that we're going to be in for the next six weeks together. And I also just want to say that if you're a guest with us this morning, you really couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, a new series really lends a great opportunity to get connected in a fresh way with, uh, with Grace Church. And so we're glad you're able to come out today. Hopefully, uh, you'll engage with this whole conversation during this series while you're checking our church out. If you get a chance to, maybe even check out some of our life groups. We have some information about that at our cafe. And definitely, if you're a first-time guest with us, we want you to get that free gift that we have for you um, in the cafe. And so you can grab that, just our way of saying thanks for being here. But this, this conversation, Neighboring, we're really excited about this, and we're going to be jumping into it for the next uh, six weeks together. And I just want to encourage you, as we jump into it, I think the best starting place for us will probably be in Luke chapter 10. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you just take them with me right now, and let's go to Luke chapter 10, okay? And if you uh, did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that is totally fine. We actually have some for you. So you can just take one of those Bibles. You'll find them in the chairs uh, in front of you, hopefully. Uh, there's some, uh, some racks there, and you can grab one of the, the Bibles off the racks. It'll be page 725 in those Bibles that we have for you, so we're going to find Luke chapter 10. And so you can flip there. Or if you're a tech person and you got like a smartphone or a tablet or whatever, you can download YouVersion, Y-O-U version. It's a free Bible app. And it's a, it's a really cool way to interact with the Bible, multiple translations, all for free. And, uh, and so you can do that. So however you get to Luke chapter 10, I want to encourage you to get to Luke chapter 10. And as you guys are flipping to Luke chapter 10, let me, let me just start with this. I want to start with a question uh, that I think is really going to help us in this series, and then we'll get in the passage. So here's a question I want to ask you, just to kind of kick off this whole thing, this whole series that we're doing. This is a question I want to ask you. What kind of neighbor are you? What type of neighbor are you? All right, just think about it for a minute, and, and notice that I'm not asking you what kind of neighbors do you have. I'm sure that we all could probably answer that and have some interesting stories. I'm sure we could all share those at some point, maybe show those in your life group. What kind of neighbor are you? And, and here's what I mean, okay? In your neighborhood, like, I mean, literally, where you live at your house, uh, what would your neighbor say about you, right? What, what would your neighbor say about your neighboring? And you know as well as I do, there are a variety of different types of neighbors. I've had a variety of different types of neighbors myself. Let me just identify a few of them. Maybe you can identify with a few of these. Are you, uh, maybe for you, maybe you're the ninja neighbor. You know what I'm talking about? I don't mean like slice, slice your head off with a, a sword kind of thing. I mean like the invisible neighbor where, uh, where you're, you know, the, no one really sees you or maybe you have neighbors like this. You don't really see them. It's like they get home from work and it's like garage door up, garage door down in the house. You know, you don't, no soliciting sign, several locks on the door. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe that's the way that your neighbors would perceive you. You're kind of too busy with, with, the, with the demands of life. You're kind of the ninja neighbor, never home. And if you are home, you're just kind of like in and out. And, you know, we talk about the church ninja sometimes. This is the neighbor ninja. Right, maybe that's you. Um, how about this one? Maybe you're the noisy neighbor. The noisy neighbor. Are you the neighbor who you're like most likely to get the police called on you kind of thing where uh, there's always some kind of activity going on? The kids are loud. The music's loud. There's cars at the house. But people are wondering what's going on. They wonder if you're dealing drugs. Is that you? Are you the noisy, um, are you the noisy neighbor? How about this one? The nosy neighbor. Right? Now, I know this is the 10 o'clock service, so none of you are this way. The 8.30 service had a ton of them. Uh, but, uh, but the nosy neighbor, is that you, right? The, uh, the curtain twitcher? You know, talking about the, the one who's always up in everyone's business and is like, oh, did you see such and such got a new, you know, I don't know, shower curtain? Or, you know, that's really nosy. You know, 
but maybe that's you. Maybe you're the, 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 nosy, um, the nosy neighbor. How about this one, the next one? Are you the wacky neighbor? I think about Kramer from Seinfeld, like you just never know what to expect and you, you just stop asking, right? Because you're like, I don't know what they're doing, it's wild. And maybe that's you, maybe you're the wacky neighbor. Maybe your neighbors look at you and they're like, you're just crazy, you know, the, the things that you do and those type of things. How about this one? Are you the zookeeper neighbor? The zookeeper, are you the animal loving cat lady, you know, where there's, your yard is full of all kinds of good things. Is that you? Are you that person? Or uh, what about this one, number six? Are you the Joneses? Are you the ones that everyone's trying to keep up with, right? Are you the one that has the immaculate lawn without a leaf on it, you know? And everything is pristine and perfect. And during the holidays, regardless of the holiday, your decorations are always the talk of the neighborhood. Is that you? Are you the, the Joneses? And of course, we could go on and on and on about all the different types of neighbors. But here's why I'm asking that question. I want you just to think for a minute. Um, how, are, how do people view your neighboring? What would your neighbors say about you, about your neighboring, right? And, and maybe think about it this way. If you're a student that goes to school, all right, in, in your classroom or at your school, what are you known for, for those who are around you? How do people tend to think of you, right? Or, um, or maybe this, maybe at work, right? In, in, the, in the office that you're at, the people that are around you or the people in the cubicles next to you, what do they think about you? And, and the big question I really want us to ask beginning this series is, what kind of neighbor are you? And, and here's why we're asking that question. Not simply because it's interesting, but because it's really important. And the reason it's important is because Jesus said that neighboring, that how we neighbor, the type of neighbors that we are, is an absolutely foundational aspect for those of us who follow Jesus to our lives. Now, I understand that not everyone in this room follows Jesus, and so if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're investigating it, you're actually kind of off the hook. But for those of us who follow Jesus, how we neighbor is essential to our Christianity, to how we follow Christ. As a matter of fact, some of you might remember there was on one particular occasion someone came up to Jesus and they asked him a question. They said, Jesus, what's the number one most important rule that we need to follow? Number one commandment. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22? Let me just show it to you. Jesus answered this way. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, he said. Notice that. The second is equally important. He said, you must love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus basically looked at him and he said, this guy looks at Jesus, he says, give me the one rule that I need to follow. And Jesus, rather than giving him one thing, gives him two things. And rather than giving him a rule, Jesus gives him two relationships. He says, the most important relationships are this. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with everything inside of you. And then he says, and the second is equally important. This guy asks for one. Jesus gives him two. Why? Because he understands that these two commandments are so deeply interwoven that they are inseparable. That if you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the natural result will be that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, what Jesus was saying this was this. He was saying that first commandment loving results in second commandment living. That you, these two relationships are so deeply interwoven that the one results in the other. And that's how Jesus answered this question. This is really, really important to Jesus. How we neighbor is really, really important. And so in this series, what we want to do is we really want to focus on this idea of what does it mean to neighbor. Now, here's why, right? We talk a lot here at Grace Church. Matter of fact, I would say the main subject matter that we talk about here at Grace Church is loving God. We talk about it all the time. We talk about the importance of having a relationship with Jesus. We talk about the importance of what it looks like to follow Christ in your life. We think that that is paramount, right? 
But in this series, what we really want to do is we want to focus on that second part of the commandment. What does it look like to love our neighbor as ourselves? Practically speaking, how do we engage in this? And how do we do that in 21st century in America? And what does that look like? And what does Christ really want for us in that? So here's my hope in this series. My hope is that we'll have this conversation about what it looks like to care for our neighbors. And my hope is really twofold. I hope that A, that this is very practical. Okay. In this series, we want this to be super practical. We want to give tools in your hands. We want to give you opportunities and ideas of what it looks like to truly love your neighbor. All right? So that's one thing. We want to be really practical. And the other thing that, we, that that's going to be, I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate, kind of warn you, is it's going to be a little challenging. Okay? We might challenge you in this series to get a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And that's okay, right? because we're, we're trying to learn what it means to follow Jesus. And following Jesus isn't always comfortable, but it is always the best thing. And so we're going to challenge you in those ways. I'll just tell you, as I've been preparing for this series and praying for this series, I have been deeply challenged, and I'm really excited about jumping into this together, okay? Probably the best place to start when we're defining what does it mean to be a good neighbor is Luke chapter 10. It's the greatest spot. And Luke chapter 10, some of you, if you kind of grew up in the church, this is an extremely familiar passage, one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever gave, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, and my guess is if you kind of grew up with, you know, knowing the Bible and stuff, this is something that you're pretty familiar with. My hope is that you're not so familiar with it that it's lost its <laughs> impact, right? But some of you are probably familiar. Even if you're not a Bible person, though, like if you didn't grow up in the church or you're not a Christian or you don't follow Jesus, if you're not familiar with the Bible, my guess is you're probably familiar with this story, too. Because there are laws that are named after this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You might not have known that before, that the idea of the Good Samaritan actually came from Jesus. So if you didn't know that, now you know that. Now you know something about the Bible. You can tell people, I know something about the Bible, you know, the Good Samaritan. So anyway, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to start this story for us. Verse 25, it says that on one occasion, the expert of the law stood up, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so let's just pause there for a second. Let me set it up. So the Bible says on one occasion, Jesus is like teaching or something. And the Bible says that there's an expert in the law. Now, let me help you out. In our cultural context, when we think about an expert in the law, we tend to think of a lawyer, right? And, and we tend to think of someone that's kind of part of the judicial system that way. Well, in this culture, it was a little different. Um, because they were so religiously focused, an expert of the law was someone who was an expert in the Old Testament law. So this would have been a guy who was a master of the Bible. He would have been a scribe, meaning he wrote the Bible. So this is a guy that knows the Bible um, front ways, back ways, sideways, every way. He knows the Bible. And so the Bible tells us that he's listening to Jesus teach. He stands up to ask Jesus a question. I want you to notice in this passage that it actually tells us his intention. The Bible says that he stood up um, to, to test Jesus that he was there to test him. Some of you have translations that say that he was there to trap Jesus. And the idea is really this, that the reason this guy was asking this question, he's an expert in the law, so he's kind of a know-it-all, and the reason he's standing up is because he's trying to trick Jesus, trying to trap him in his own um, words. That's what the Bible tells us. So he asks him this question. He says, what must I do to, in to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus responds in verse 26. Check this out. What is written in the law, he replied? How do you read it? And so I love this, if you notice in this, Jesus probably discerning that this guy is out to trick him because Jesus could discern the heart of everybody. He, he knew this guy was trying to trick him and notice the Bible says that rather than answering his question outright, Jesus instead answers his question with a question. I love this about Jesus, by the way. If you ever notice in the Bible, anytime his opponents try to trick him or trap him and they ask him a difficult question, he always responds by answering their question with a question. And he ends up turning their intentions back on them. He's genius at this. He's absolutely brilliant. So Jesus asked this guy a question. He says, let me ask, answer your question with a question. He says, well, 
well, what about you? You're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? You know it, right? How do you interpret it? What do you think uh, is, is kind of the key to all of it? Jesus kind of turns it back on him. And the man answers, verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's, we just looked at this in Matthew 22. This is exactly the same way that Jesus would answer the question. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 28. You've answered correctly. He's like, bingo, you got it, man, you got it. And then Jesus replied to him, do this and you'll live. Just, so Jesus says, yeah, just go do that. Just go love your neighbor as yourself. Just go ahead, get on that. And, and watch the man's response in, this, in verse 29. I think, by the way, that this is key. I want you to focus on this verse because I think that in this verse, there is a key to helping us understand this passage. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? Isn't that interesting that the Bible tells us that he wanted to justify himself? He wanted to justify. The word justify is an interesting word. It literally means this. The word justify means to render righteous. That's what it means. Or it means this. It means to declare as one ought to be. So, so catch this, right? This guy says, Jesus, What's the, what, what's the thing I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you think? He says, I should love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I should love my neighbors myself. Jesus says, bingo, you got it. And this guy, what he does is he says, now, wait a minute. Jesus just affirmed to me that what God really wants from us, from all of us, <laughs> is he wants our love and affection. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. That, in other words, Jesus wants us to care for our neighbor, to go after the needs of our neighbor, to invest in the interests of our neighbor in the same way, with the same energy that we would invest in ourselves, right? Now, now all of a sudden, when I think about that commandment, I'm starting to identify with this religious leader. He's like, wait a minute now, let me justify myself. What exactly do you mean when you say my neighbor then? And basically what he's asking is this, Jesus, <laughs> How far are you supposed to go with this for real? Like, like, is there a loophole here? What's the, come on, come on. What's the irreducible minimum? What's the, just give me like, what do I, what are the requirements of what it means to love my neighbor, right? And I can identify with this guy because honestly, I don't know, maybe you guys are like this too. When I read that, love your neighbor as yourself. At face value, if I take it as like a hallmark platitude, you know, it's like a nice thing to say. It's like, yeah, you know, care about other people. Hold the door for someone when they're walking in. Or if you see someone carrying something heavy, you know, help them carry it. Or, you know, take a penny, leave a penny, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I get it, I get it, you know. But, but like, come on, if you really think about it, loving your neighbor as yourself, man, I'm selfish. And I will go to any length to make sure that if I have a need that's not met, that I will meet it. And Jesus is saying that I should care about my neighbor with the same intentionality, with the same amount of intensity, with the same amount of investment that I care for myself. And, and my question is the same as his. Now, hold on, Jesus. Now, hold on. How, how far are you supposed to go with this? Like everybody like that? I'm supposed to love everyone? I mean, come on, man. You, you're going to get taken advantage of if you care about people that way. He wants to justify himself. And so Jesus does something brilliant here. I love this. Jesus sees an opportunity, and instead of answering his question, he answers with a story. This is brilliant on Jesus' part. And this story is phenomenal. So Jesus begins. Look at verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. So Jesus says, 
Your question's interesting. It reminds me of a story. Once upon a time, there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, what's interesting, and this is important for us to know too, the road that Jesus was referring to is not a fictitious road. It was a real place. As a matter of fact, you can visit it today. I'll show you a picture of it. This is a picture of the road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a historically renowned road. It was 17 miles long. It was a sharp decline from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And the reason this road was so well known, you can probably tell, you can actually see the road. It's on the left-hand side of the canyon there. The reason this road was so well known is because um, the landscape was very rocky and there was a lot of crags and caves and robbers would hide in those crags and those, crags and those caves. And whenever someone would be walking down that road, it, it was notorious that people got jumped and beaten and they got stuff stolen from them all the time on this road. So it would have been in the news all the time. Someone was walking down that road and they got jumped again. They got, it was a dangerous road. So Jesus starts this story. He says, once upon a time, there was a guy walking down that road. You know that road? And everyone's like, oh, that road. He's like, yeah, we're going down that road. And he got jumped and he got beaten and he got his money taken from him. He's left half dead and naked. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that happens when you go down that road. And so they're telling, he's just telling a story, right? So he sets it up. Then he starts introducing a couple different characters here. Look at verse 30. I'm sorry, uh, look at verse 31. It says, a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So the Bible says, number one, you have this kind of this first character, and he's a priest. Now, priests in that time, I don't probably need to say much. You just think about a high religious person. Uh, back in this time, of course, in our culture, religion is more peripheral. It's not like a central part of our uh, culture. But back in this time, religion was at the centerpiece of everything. It was at the centerpiece of government. It was at the centerpiece of culture. So a priest back in that time would have been considered like the most moral person you could imagine. Uh, he worked in the temple, right? He, he, he did this for a living. He would have been higher socio, on the socioeconomic ladder. He would have been considered kind of a high-class person, did important work, kind of did God's work. So the Bible says a priest. Jesus says a priest, the person that you would most expect that would do the right thing, right? The highest moral person imaginable. The guy that keeps the law better than anybody else. He's walking past him and he sees this guy that's beat up and the Bible says that he saw him, he avoided him and he walked past him. And then Jesus introduces us to the second character in verse 32. So too, a Levite. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, what's a Levite? Well, a Levite, just think about it this way. If a priest is the number one ranking moral person in this culture, a Levite is like a very close second. So the Levite would have been a, a guy who, um, he would have been a, worked with the priest in the temple, was a religious person, once again, higher on the socioeconomic ladder. Um, this guy would have been uh, considered a very righteous person. So just imagine, Jesus is talking to this guy. He's an expert in the law. We know that, right? And he, and he basically says, once upon a time, there's a guy going down that road. You shouldn't go down. And he got beat up. He's like, and then a priest, who, by the way, that would have been his hero. The priest saw him. He walked by on the other side. The Levites saw him, who also would have been this guy's hero. They walked by on the other side. Now, I want you to notice, with both the priest and the Levite, the same language is used by Jesus. And we see three actions on both the part of the priest and the Levite. Here they are. They saw, they avoided, and they passed by. The Bible says that they saw that they were walking down this road. They saw this man. They saw the need. It wasn't like they weren't ignorant to this. They weren't oblivious. They saw it. They saw this man. The Bible says they moved to the other side. They made an intentional move to distance themselves. Right? They purposefully and intentionally disengaged with the scenario, and they passed by. They kept going on their way. Now, the question we need to ask is, why? 
Why did these men, who were the most religious, who were the most noble, who were the most moral, why did they see the situation and walk past? Now, here's the answer to that question. We don't know. Jesus never said. He doesn't really get into it. But there is a lot of speculation about it. And there are some people that, that would say that the reason that the priest and the reason that the, the Levite walked past was because, honestly, they were just too busy. Some people thought, well, they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho. That means that they just spent two weeks serving at the temple. They're going down from Jericho. They're probably thinking to themselves, man, I'm so busy. I'm doing such good work already. I'm so busy doing good things. Maybe I don't have the time or maybe I'm too exhausted to engage in this scenario and so I'm gonna distance myself and maybe someone else can deal with it this time. I'm just gonna kind of pass by on this side. Some people think it's because they were just so busy with their important godly work that they were unable to engage and help in this. Some commentators would say that the reason they passed by, some of you may have heard this, is because uh, they were ceremonially clean there were ceremonial rituals in which they would have to cleanse themselves in order to serve at the temple. And, and if they were to interact with this sick person in this, in, in this particular way, that it would make them ceremonially unclean. And so, and so maybe they're coming home from the temple and they see this guy and they're like, I don't want to have to go through the whole process of being ceremonially clean again. And so I'm just going to forget about it this time. I just, I'm just tired. I'm going home. Maybe that was why. Some people think that maybe they passed by just because they were smart. Think about it. You're walking down this road, and here's a guy that's just got robbed. His clothes are taken from him. His money's taken from him. I mean, that's a dangerous situation, right? It could be. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it's all a setup. Maybe the robbers are still there. Maybe they're gonna, they would have been risking their lives to help this person. Maybe they were just smart. That, you know, that, that's a risky situation. I don't want to get involved. I don't know the reason. We don't know the reason. Jesus doesn't give us the reason. But here's what I think the point is, by the way. I think here's the point. The point is that not neighboring is easy to justify, isn't it? I mean, look at this expert of the law. He's trying to justify himself. Who's my neighbor, right? And now Jesus gives the two most morally high-standing people that you can imagine. He says they just went right by. Why? Because it's easy. It is easy to rationalize away. And I'll just be real with you guys for a minute. As it relates to, I'll just speak for myself personally. I have found this to be so true, that not engaging with the people who are directly around me and the way that Jesus commands me to engage with them, to love them as myself, is an easy thing for me to dismiss and to rationalize away. It is easy for me to justify myself. I was just thinking about this. Right now my wife and I are in transition. We're, we're in the process of moving and all that. And at our old neighborhood, I can't tell you how many times, just so convicting, that I was so busy doing God's work that I would come home and completely neglect the needs of my neighbors. I mean, I just missed it. I'm like, I, I read this passage and I'm just like deeply convicted because I'm like, this, this is the thing that Jesus is talking about. I'm, the two things, I'm supposed to love God, I'm supposed to love other people. And yet not loving people the way that Jesus told me to love people is the easiest thing to rationalize. I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm too whatever. I don't have the wherewithal if I, I don't like them, they annoy me, you know? And whatever the reason is, it's an easy thing to rationalize away. So Jesus gives that story, and then watch what he does. Man, this is awesome. Watch what he does in verse, uh, verse uh, 33. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan. Now, I just want to tell you, Jesus is going to go on to tell us that the Samaritan does the right thing. But when Jesus says Samaritan, for you and I in our culture, it, it completely loses its shock value. When Jesus would have said this in its context, it would have caused the people to gasp and cringe. This was like a twist ending of brilliance that Jesus did on this part. He's like, there was a priest 
who is the highest ranking person imaginable. There's a Levi who, morally speaking, is second only to the priest. And then Jesus says, and then a Samaritan, which you gotta understand, back in this culture, some of you know this, for the Jewish people, the Samaritans were considered less than second-class citizens. They were considered less than human, right? The Jews looked at Samaritans, they called them dogs, that's what they called them. And they were trained to do this. As a matter of fact, let me just show you a, a rabbinic writing back from this time. This is what rabbis would teach the Jewish people. From the book of Sirach, verse 50, 25 says this. It says, two nations my soul detests. Third nation is not even a people. They're not even human, right? Those who live in Sire, those who live in the Philistines, and the foolish people who live in Shechem, which is Samaria, Samaritans. This is what they were taught. They were taught that the Samaritans were not even people. They don't even have human dignity. You don't interact with them. You don't love them. You don't care for them. They're the bottom of the barrel. And this is what most of the Jewish people back in this time believed. They believed this to be true about the Samaritans. So just so you get a picture, imagine the worst racial prejudice that our culture has ever seen. Multiply that by like 100, and you got the Jewish Samaritan thing going on. And so Jesus, you got to see the brilliance in this, right? He's like, all right, once upon a time, there's a guy got hurt. He's on the side of the road. Got it. Okay, a priest, like the number one moral guy in the culture, walks past him. Then a Levite walks past him. And then he's like, and then a Samaritan comes around. And they would have been like, no. And so I, um, I was actually trying to explain. One of the things I try to do right now is I try to, uh, with my boys, I, I try to help them understand. We, we get together once a week, and we try to go through the, the Bible. I try to help them understand the Bible a little bit. So I try to teach them the Bible. And I don't know about you. I have a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. If you've got little kids, just opening the Bible and reading it to them, it doesn't, it's not doing it. They don't have the attention span for it. Quite frankly, I don't have the attention span for it. It doesn't really work out. And so one of the things I try to do is I'll, I'll try to engage. In, I'm like, I've got to come up with some creative way to help them engage in the Bible. And a lot of times it doesn't work. On one occasion, I think it worked pretty well, I was, I was trying to describe to my kids this story, the story of the Good Samaritan. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use their action, they play with action figures all the time, I'm going to use their action figures, and I'm going to reenact the parable of the Good Samaritan. So we sat down at the dining room table, I had, their, I had a bin full of action figures next to me, I said, okay boys, come here, and they're like, what are we doing? I'm like, I want to tell you a story. I said, so once upon a time, I said, there was a man who got beaten up and he was left on the side of the road. And I thought, who could be a good candidate for that? You know? And so I looked around in the action figure barrel and I decided that Batman was going to be that character. And the reason I, cons I did Batman was because Batman is their favorite. And I thought, if any character in the story is Batman, that's the one they're going to want to be. So I'm like, so we're just going to make Batman the guy that's hurt. So I said, Batman got beat up and he's on the side of the road. Obviously, this is fiction. Batman would never get beat up. And so he's on the side of the road, he's hurting, right? And then I was like, I said, then once, and my boys are totally into this thing. They're like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah. And I said, and then, I said, then um, a, a guy passed by, and I thought, who would be a good representative of the priest? Like, who's the action hero that you think would always do the right thing? The guy that would do it. I thought, you know who it is? Captain America. I'm like, I mean, first, he's American. America. And he's a captain. So those are really good things. I'm like, he's just, you think he's going to, he's, you think of a morally upstanding hero, you think of Captain America. So I said, so I said, okay, boy, so Captain America's walking down the road, he sees Batman over here. I said, guess what he did? They're like, what? I was like, he saw him, and he walked right past him. The boys were like, whoa. I was like, yeah. I said, and then, I said, then uh, there was another guy who started to walk by, and I thought, who could be the Levite? Who's another really, you know, a really moral superhero that just always does the right thing? Can you guys guess who I came up with? Superman. I was like, Superman, you know, he's, he's kind of the superhero that started it all. And I'm like, you know, everyone expects Soup to do the right thing. 
So I said, Superman starts walking down, and he sees Batman, and they're even of the same comic brand. They're both DC. And, and he just kept walking, you know? And my, and my boys were like, I said, guess what he did? They're like, what? I'm like, he saw him, and he kept going. They're like, whoa. It's like, right. And then I said, and then there was a third guy who walked by. And I tried to think. I really dug. I was like, what's the toy that my boys hate to play with? Like the most despised, not a Steelers doll. That would, that would have worked well. Um, I was like, what's the, so I grabbed this guy. Yeah. He don't have any arms or legs. No rippling abs or muscles. There's nothing superhero about the. The guy that made this toy is the laziest person alive. <laughs> so I grabbed this guy. I was like, it's like, and then guess who started walking down the road? They're like, who? I'm like, this guy. And they're like, that guy? It's like, yeah, that guy, the one that I punished you with. I'm like, you know, if you're in timeout, this is the toy you play with. And uh, I was like, here, you can play with this guy. And so, and I, I was like, and guess what he did? They're like, what? I was like, he helped him. I was like, he came over to Batman and he helped him with his, his boo-boos, and he took him to, um, to an inn where the innkeeper was the Incredible Hulk. And I was like, and this is, it all kind of worked out. And then at the end of the story, I took all three characters. I took um, Captain America, and I took Superman, and I took this Woody, I don't know. I put him in front of my boys, and I said, which one of these did the right thing? And both of my boys, I mean, they just got it. And they pointed right at Woody. And they're like, he did. I was like, right. I said, now, which toy do you want to play with? And they said, Batman. <laughs> I said, right, you know, you got it. And, uh, but, 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 but here's the thing. I just want you to see the way that Jesus told this story was in such a way that the result would have been shocking to his hearers. And I think that not only did Jesus add that twist ending because it would have been a shock, but I think there was a very important reason why he did that. And I think that there is a very, very profound reason why Jesus told the story that, that way. And I'll tell you at the end why I think he told it that way. But for our sake, let's just keep going. So the Bible says in verse 33, the Samaritan came, he traveled where the man was, he saw him, he took pity on him, verse 34. And then he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to the inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. I want you to notice this Samaritan. We talked about the priest and the Levite, and they saw, they avoided, and they passed. Notice the three things that the Samaritan did. He saw, he went, and he gave. Um, notice in verse 33, it says that he saw the man. If you look at verse 34, he went to the man. Rather than avoiding him, he, and rather than, and distancing himself, he closed in on him. He walked towards the mess. That's what he did. He went. And then the Bible says he gave. One of the things I thought was so awesome about this passage when I was studying it this week was the number of times the word took is used. I don't know if you noticed it in here. Verse 33 says he took pity on the man. Verse 34, he took care of the man. Verse 35, he took out money. We're told he took medicine and he gave it to the man. We're told he took him and he put him on his donkey. What is all that about? He's giving and giving and giving. Giving of his time, giving of his energy, giving of his resources, giving of his money, giving of all of these things to help the need of this other person. It's, it's categorically different, the activity that this man is engaged in compared to the priest and the Levite. And then Jesus concludes, verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. 
Jesus, this is awesome, by the way. Jesus noticed this. It starts off, this man asked Jesus a question. Who is my neighbor? By the end of the story, Jesus changes the, the question. The question isn't who is my neighbor, he says. The question is how do I neighbor? That's the real question. How do I neighbor? What does it look like for me to invest in neighboring other people? In other words, what Jesus just did there is he told us that being a neighbor is not just a noun, it's a verb. Right? Being a neighbor is not just about being somewhere. It's actually about being someone. Neighboring is something we do. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Neighboring is, it, you know, you have neighbors, but are you neighboring? That's the real question. And that's the question that Jesus was asking in this passage as well. Watch this man's response. He responded. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. Couldn't even do it. He's like, he's like, there was a priest, there was a Levite, there was a Samaritan. Which one did the right thing? He's like, the third one. The one who had mercy. He won't even say it. He won't even say the word Samaritan. And Jesus concludes, he says, go and do likewise. Just go do, do the same thing. Act that way too. See, and what Jesus does in this, with this story is brilliant because what he does is he, he turns that, that man's question on its head and, and, and he causes the man by the end to realize that loving your neighbor is, is about, it's, a, it's about investing in those who God puts in our natural pathway of life. Jesus really shows us this, that our neighbor is anybody. It's anyone who we interact with in our everyday life. It is anyone, regardless of, of age, regardless of race, regardless of, of religion, regardless of, of uh, ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless if they're our friend or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, everyone is your neighbor and everyone is someone that you should love as you love yourself. Now, here's the problem with that, all right? When I say that, when I say that everyone is our neighbor, what happens, unfortunately, is that we make the principle so broad, we make it so general that we never get specific with it that we never actually make a difference in our, in our natural pathway of life because if we're aiming at everything, oftentimes we hit nothing, right? And so in this series, I think I told you, we wanna make it really, really, really practical. And so here's what we're gonna be talking about in, in this series. I wanna talk about starting where you are right now. What if you started neighboring, loving people as you love yourself, intentionally moving that way? What if you started right where you're at today? And so there's a few things that we want to do, some tools that we want to put in your hands to help you do this. And there's three things that we really want you to do in this series. Okay, number one is this. First is we want you to identify your neighbors. Identify your neighbors. This sounds really basic, but we want you to identify them. Let me just show you something real quick. Put this graph up here. This is just a helpful diagram. I want you just to look at this for a minute, okay? And in your mind, just play along with me. I want you to imagine that that house in the middle is your house. That's your house, okay? Now here's a question I have for you. Who are the neighbors that live in the houses surrounding you? Now, I understand not every neighborhood works that cleanly. If you live in Granger, your neighbors are like a mile away, right? So, but, but who are these people in these boxes? Now, here's a question I have for you. Do you know their name? Do you know their first name? Do you know their last name? Let me ask you this question. If you were to fill in those boxes with the information that you know about that person, what would you fill in? Would that information be more than what you could just get from observing them out your window? He's a doctor. She, she drives a minivan. Do you, know, do you know their story? Do you know anything about that person? Right? 
Now, now let me just be clear here. I know as you're going through this, some of you are like, I can't do that. You know what? I'll just be, I'll go first here. My wife and I were in the middle of moving, you know, but in our old neighborhood, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't fill out this box. I knew a couple of the names. I knew a few of the details. I didn't know a lot of it to my own discredit. I mean, I need, I need this sermon as much as anyone else does, right? How about this? Um, at school, if you're in school, imagine that center is your desk, all right? Who are the students that sit around you? Do you know them? Do you know their name? Do you know their story? you know anything besides just what can be observed? What about this? What about at work? If that's your desk, the desks that are, I know not everything works as cleanly, but the desks that are the cubicles that are around you, do you know the, the names, the stories? What if we just started right where we were at, man? What if we just start right here? Here's what I want to challenge you to do in the series. I want to challenge you to reach out and intentionally identify three, three neighbors at work, at home, at school, anywhere, three neighbors that you do not know that you could potentially be investing. I want you to identify three. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to identify, we're gonna challenge you to pray by name for those three. Pray for your three. And, and look, if you're anything like me, okay, uh, good intentions fall flat a lot. And so I need something practical to help me to do that. And so we actually created a couple practical tools to help you pray. I'll just give you a couple of them. One is these wristbands. You notice I have this wristband on. Um, these are, we'll have these available for you on your way out if you want to grab one. These wristbands are um, they're really annoying to wear, and, um, but that's, that's kind of on purpose because it, it reminds me. It, it causes me to remember to pray for my three. Um, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is if you want to grab one of these, um, on the inside, take a Sharpie. Write the first names of your three in there just as a way of praying for them by name. On the outside of these wristbands, it just simply says, I love my church. The only reason we put that on there is because we thought it might be a good conversation starter. Um, but I will say that if you're gonna wear this wristband, don't be a jerk. Okay, don't do it. So if you're, like, if you're gonna, just don't even wear one. If you know you're gonna be a jerk that day, leave it at home. Okay, if, you're driving, if you're driving down the road and you're gonna flick someone off, take it off first. <laughs> Um, and that kind of thing. But I just, I want you to grab one of these. If you don't love our church, don't wear it. Don't lie. You know what I mean? If you're like, I hate this church, fine. Don't get a bracelet. All right. But, uh, but that's one way. Here's the other way. And you can do this. You could do both or just one if you want to. There's a magnet, just real simple. Um, throw it on your refrigerator. Throw, I have mine on my lamp. In my, I have a, a magnetic lamp. I just put it on there. And it just reminds me to pray for these people in these boxes. Let's pray for them. Right, just a simple reminder. I would encourage you. That's all free. You can grab that on your way out. And then here's the last thing. We want you to identify your neighbors. We want you to pray by name every day in this series for your neighbors, for those three. And then here's the last thing we want to encourage you to do. We want you then to connect, to intentionally find an opportunity to connect with them. Hear their story. Make an intentional move towards them to get to know them to hear from them, to love them. And, and if you're a person that's like, I don't know how to do that, I'm shy. I need, it. I, need, I need you to give me something to help me create that opportunity. Well, fine, we, we, we actually made something for you. In fact, what we're doing, you might see in your programs is something called the Shoe Project. Everyone has one of these in your programs. There's also plenty at the Connection Center or at the Connection uh, Table or whatever we call it. You can grab one of these things. Um, let me tell you what this is. The Shoe Project is something that our Bath Campus has done. It's something that our Norton Campus is doing. We just stole the idea. It's a great idea, and here's what it is. We are collecting used shoes and used coats in this project to give to people who are in less fortunate situations. The shoes will go to Africa, where there's people who need shoes. The coats will go right here in our local community to help people um, during the season who need those things. Um, this is simply an excuse 
That's all it is. To, to go and meet somebody, to connect in a way you haven't connected before. Here's what, I, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Take this. If you notice the back, there's some information on there. Go, go to that person and say, hey, um, during this season, one of the things that we're doing is we're collecting shoes to help people in less fortunate situations. If there's a way that I could collect from you, um, right down the day, I'll, I'd gladly come back and pick them up from you. You can drop them off right here in our, uh, in our cafe during the weekend services. This is an opportunity, hopefully, for you to begin a relationship. That's it then. And if they're interested, you can even invite them to come and help us pack shoes. We're gonna have a shoe packing event where we're gonna come together, we're gonna pack those shoes, we're gonna send them off um, to, uh, to the organizations that will deal with them from there. This is just an opportunity, but it's a way of us saying, here, here's a practical, tangible way that maybe you can connect with those three. In this series, the real thought that we're really going to be dealing with is, what would it look like if you and I became really good neighbors? And this is the main thought that's driving this whole series. I put it this way in my notes. I said this. What if, what if it were this? What if we weren't just people that went to church? What if we were a church that went to people? What would happen in our community? What would happen in our neighborhood? Imagine. What would happen in your workplace if, if we were people who really loved our neighbors as ourself. What could, what could happen? And I want you to imagine that. I believe that if you can imagine what that might look like in your mind's eye, you have a picture of what Jesus intended, that he wants his church to look like in the world. Transformation that takes place as a result of these things. All right, so um, identify, pray, and then hopefully connect. We wanna be not a church, that are people that go to church, but a church that goes to people. I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and as they do, I just want to close with one final thought that I think is unbelievably important to this whole conversation. Earlier, I told you that I think the reason that Jesus told the parable the way he told it is because he was trying to make a very profound point. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that, okay? Jesus, when he, told, he looked at this expert in the law who would have been a very average Jewish person, and he said to him, once upon a time, there was a man who was hurt on the side of the road. And he said, a priest came by, the highest moral standing person you can imagine, he went and went right past him. A Levite did the same thing. What Jesus does next is not only, it's not only surprising, it's also profound. See, what you would expect Jesus to do is this. You would expect Jesus to say, there was a priest, there was a Levite, and then there was average Joe. And average Joe saw an injured Samaritan, and he went and he helped the Samaritan. What you would expect Jesus to do is make the Samaritan the injured guy and make the average Jewish guy the third character in the story. And if he did that, this would have been the point of the story. The point of the story would have been, you should love everybody even if you hate them, which is congruent with what Jesus taught anyway. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus did was profound because here's what he did. He actually made that Jewish man the injured guy on the side of the road. And the one who helped him was the one that he hated and the one that he rejected and the one that he despised. Why did Jesus do that? Because here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that if, if, if the only reason that we love our neighbors as ourselves, if the only motivation for that is out of religious duty, if the only reason that I love my neighbor as myself is out of guilt, because I think it's what God wants me to do and I'm doing a really bad job at it and I probably need to get better at it, Jesus knows that's not gonna work. And I'm just gonna tell you this right now. If, as we're going through this sermon, you feel guilty, like I really need to do something about it, let me just tell you that you've probably missed the point of the, of the passage. 
Because if guilt is the only reason, if religious obligation and duty is the only reason that you love your neighbor as yourself, you're missing the point and it's not going to last. It's not going to last. What Jesus does instead is he says, it's the one you despise, it's the one that you hated that loved you. See, what he does is this, is Jesus understands that the only real motivation for us to love our neighbor is that we have to realize that someone has first done this for us. Because then it's, it's thankfulness, not guilt. Then it's gratitude, not religious obligation. You guys, Jesus Christ was the ultimate good Samaritan. Think about it, think about it. Our situation was what? The Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were the one who was on the side of the road, half dead, naked, beaten, and robbed. That was us. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ saw us, that he went to us. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two that he laid aside the riches and glory of heaven, that he came down and became a human. He dwelt among us. He came here. The Bible says that he saw us, he went to us, and he gave. Gave everything. Gave his time, gave his energy, gave his teaching, gave his life, gave his very life. Gave the riches of heaven that we might become rich. See, the thing that we have to realize, the only motivation that's really gonna make us be good neighbors is not guilt and it's not religious obligation. It's gratitude and thankfulness that Jesus Christ has loved me that he was the good Samaritan and I was the guy on the side of the road. That's the only place I will find the power to love the way that Jesus has asked me to love. Loving our neighbor has to first start in loving God. Loving God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Gratitude for the gospel, what Christ has done, results in good neighbor. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful that you're the good Samaritan. You're the one that we rejected. You're the one that we despised. You're the one that we pushed away. And yet you were the one who came to us when we were in need. You were the one who laid down your very life. It was through your riches, you made yourself poor and made us rich. Father, that's the only way that we're ever gonna be able to do this. Jesus, I am so thankful that you've commanded us to, to this type of lifestyle. And I can only imagine what this church would look like if we were not just people that went to church, but if we were a church that went to people. Man, we would revolutionize this culture. But Father, it has to happen first that our hearts are revolutionized in the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to engage with what you desire for our lives. Help us to be obedient to the great commandment that you